Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. So that it's hard to make good decisions because you're constantly seeing things through the lens of what's happened to you. I mean, we got a whole culture based on that now, trying to convince uh, uh, particularly black citizens, but, but all, all uh, uh, Americans who aren't of European background convince, uh, in fact, they try to convince everybody of certain things, but, but those who aren't of European background convincing them all that they've been victimized. Every, you're, you're victimized. I just started reading um, Critical Race Theory, uh, which I didn't realize this, it was published the first time in 2001. So the, the third edition just came out, I think, in 2019. This stuff has been floating around in universities, and I also didn't realize it is a direct outgrowth of critical legal studies, which was being taught at Harvard when I was there. By, uh, there was a professor, Duncan Kennedy, who was considered the lead professor in critical legal studies, and the whole notion is there is no objective truth. There's no absolute truth. And that what we see and live by in society is merely a reflection of power relationships and the powerful, or Marx would call the bourgeoisie, controlling the proletariat. Or critical race theory would say, white people controlling everybody else. It's the same principle, same idea. And, and here's one of the things that they said to show you the cultish nature of, of, of this and, and to show you how they try to use the experiences of the past to control people, they said, if you are a person, as they put it, person of color, and you happen to have an interaction with somebody and it's, it's, it's negative or the person's not nice or, the, or, or whatever, um, if the person is a person of color and you think, well, they're just having a bad day or you know, they're having their own issues, and you're probably right. Listen, but if you have that kind of interaction with a white person, you have just been a victim of a microaggression. That's the stuff that they're trying to put into people's heads. Every negative interaction should be evaluated on the basis of the race of the person with whom, every interaction for that matter. And, 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 and what they then say is, all of that is a vestige of slavery and Jim Crow that they're imbued with and they don't even know it. It's called implicit or unconscious bias. And you know, I've always said, no, it's probably just because that person's a jerk. They just happen to be a white jerk or a black jerk or whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're just jerks. I don't, I don't think about their race. It doesn't matter. Um, but they would have people think that it is the past that absolutely defines every relationship and interaction. And they want people to make decisions on the basis of those past experiences, even if they didn't happen to you personally. So Ibram Kendi, this author who does all this stuff on, on race, yeah, I mean, the man's just demon-possessed up to the eyeballs. But, he, but this is a quote. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. So basically what he's saying is, the only way we're going to deal with the past is we got to start discriminating against people in order to correct the past discrimination. That's insane. It's insane. 
And you got people buying into this. I mean, they're paying, you got people paying this idiot $25,000 to come talk to them. I wouldn't pay him 25 cents. And if I did, it would be to go, not to come. But using the past to control what somebody decides or the way they perceive and the way they come to decisions based upon the future. And, and the thing is, it's, it's so, the, that, that whole construct is so off. Second Corinthians 5.16, which you all have heard me quote many times, henceforth now know we know one according to the flesh. We as Christians are not supposed to be evaluating people on the basis of their complexion, period. And then God told Samuel when he thought um, Eliab was the son that God would choose because I guess he was the biggest, most strapping, most handsome. I mean, he just looked like he could be a king. And God said, no. He said, do not look on his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. God said, I don't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. That's the way we're supposed to be looking at things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now here... Here's an example of a, of, a, of a personal situation where past experience would have had me make the wrong decision. Um, my father had two failed marriages, and he didn't mind talking about them. Uh, he didn't mind talking about the two women <laughs> that he had the failed marriages with. In fact, my sister, we used to laugh because he, he would just get into it. I mean, he wouldn't say profane or nasty things, but, you know, he just had a negative attitude about marriage. So... So I made up my mind when I was about 13, 14, 15 years old. I said, you know what? Oh, and by the way, I lived in foster care, and Willie and Rebecca Mollett had their issues too, okay? And I'll leave it at that. But they had their issues. I saw that. And then with my father constantly telling me, marriage may work for some people, but I'll tell you what, it didn't work for me. And like I said, say, I don't recommend it. <laughs> and I said, when I was about 13, 14, 15, you know what? I can solve this problem. I'm not getting married. Period. Who needs all that trouble? I mean, all, what I've seen in foster care, what I've seen, no, no, thank you. But praise God that I met Theodora. And, and, uh, and my attitude changed. But I was, I was trying to make a decision on the basis of the past because I was from a broken home. I had a father who had unhappy marriages. I saw things in foster care I probably shouldn't have ever seen uh, in terms of that relationship. And so I made up my mind based on that. I'm not doing it. Bad, bad way to make decisions. Amen? And sometimes we take the hurts of the past and allow the hurts of the past. I mean, there are people today because of they the way they were treated as children who don't want to have children. I'm not bringing children into this world. You, are you following me? Yeah. They know how they were treated and they just feel like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way we're supposed to be making decisions. Amen? Amen. Here's the third thing. Pressure from people. Pressure from people. Now, of course, we've got the perfect example of that with this coronavirus. Um, you know, Anthony Fauci has become like a demigod, or at least in his own mind. You know, and he says, criticism of me is criticism of science. No, it's just criticism of you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there are people who came under the influence of him and, and a lot of, of political forces that said, this is the way it is and everybody's got to obey. And anybody who resisted was considered some kind of outlier or crazy or, you know, 
but you, you don't respect science. You don't respect science. I do. I respect science, but I don't worship it. And I don't think it's an absolute discipline. I think science can give us some answers to some things, and there's some things it doesn't have answers for. And so, first remember, Fauci himself. No, we don't want people wearing masks. Masks are not good. Masks will not help. Do you know the excuse he came up with later? He said, oh, well, we were just trying to save the mask for healthcare workers. I mean, just lying. He didn't say we need to save the mask. He was saying, no, we don't want people to wear masks. To then remember, wear a double mask. Remember, he started wearing double masks. Wear a double mask. And now he's saying, children, two years old and above, need to be, they need to wear masks. Well, wait a minute, it went from don't wear masks and now you want children to wear masks. And we know there are all kinds of complications with having children wear masks. But you've got people, I've heard them say, I've had my two-year-old vaccinated. You can't tell me that you've done that based on your own research because the research makes very, very clear that that's dangerous for children. We don't, we don't know what the impact is on children. And we've seen among young children multiple cases, a significant number of cases of myocarditis, inflammation of the heart. That's dangerous. That that's potentially fatal. We know that COVID is not fatal for most young people, right? But heart inflammation can be. But yet you're telling me, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You need, we need to, everybody needs to be vaccinated. Everybody needs to be masked. And you got people just like lemmings, just go along with it. And by the way, let me be clear. I'm not saying don't get vaccinated. I'm saying make your own decision and make sure it's a decision that's not based on undue influence by others telling you this is what you better do. Uh, there's some that say, uh, calling on all employers to require their employees to get vaccinated. I think that's a constitutional violation for the government to say to employers, you need to do that. I think they're all completely off on that. Say, well, it's a private business. Yeah, but if you're doing something because of some sort of government edict or, or, or influenced by the government, I think that you are transgressing the Constitution because you can't force people to take medicine they don't want to take. Amen? Plus, we know that the FDA, even though the vaccines have now been out, what, six, seven, eight months, it is still an experimental drug. And nobody knows the long-term consequences of this thing. So each person can assess. If you've got comorbidities, if you're up in age and you feel it's the right thing for you, praise God, do it. Do it. Nobody should stop you from doing it. Amen. But on the other hand, if you're one of those people who, like me, says, look, I've had the disease. I've got the antibodies. I've got T cells that are now rendering my body immune from the disease. And I've read enough to suggest that my personal natural immunity is better than the vaccine, carries no risk at all. Leave me alone. Don't tell me I, I got to go along because everybody else is doing it. Amen. Amen. Or, 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 or pressuring people, you know, uh, you've got sports clubs now. We're not letting anybody in the stadium who hasn't been vaccinated. And besides that, see, do you all realize the billions and billions of dollars made on this stuff? Anytime you've got that much money at stake, you got to ask, you've you got to have some healthy skepticism about the things you are told, amen? Amen, here again, you can decide, listen, on balance, I think it's the right thing for me. Praise God, good, I don't have any criticism of that. But just don't tell me, 
you're, you're not a patriotic American. You haven't been vaccinated. I don't want to hear it. Amen. I'm an individual and I get to make my own decisions. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So, so don't let people pressure you. Now, I'll give you another person example for me. I went to my first year in college. I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Now, some people don't realize Pennsylvania, I think, is the only state in the country with two cities named after states. There's an Indiana, Pennsylvania, and there's a California, Pennsylvania. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Well, Indiana is the state of, G of Jimmy Stewart. Now, I said that up in Boston, the young people went, who's Jimmy Stewart? Uh, I said, I, I summarize it this way. Jimmy Stewart comes from an era when Hollywood actors actually loved the country, were patriotic, and during World War II, they volunteered to give up their careers and go fight for their country. That's the, the generation that Jimmy Stewart came from. Well, he was from Indiana, Pennsylvania. That's, what they, that, that's their, their big deal. We're the home of Jimmy Stewart, even though probably most people living there don't know who Jimmy Stewart was now. Um, but that's where I went. And look, I went there with a, with a, with a, deter, a determination to do well academically. And I was sitting in my room and I'm studying and I had some guys come by and say, hey man, come on, we're gonna go party. We're gonna go have a good time. No, I gotta study. Third, second time, oh, but well, you know, you can't study all the time. You're in college, you gotta have a good time. No, I gotta study. The third time I said, well, you know, I have kind of studied a little bit, okay. And that was it. I never really came back. <laughs> it was party. It was party time USA. Well, party time. I also had a little revolutionary work to do on campus. You know, I was basically, you know, I, I, I was carrying around Mao's little red book and wearing my, wearing my combat boots and, you know, trying to fit in. But now understand, I told you all, this is how committed I was. We were actually having protests outside the ROTC building because after all, you know, the military is whatever. I don't know. And so after the protests were over and everybody leave, I go to class at ROTC. <laughs> See, I'm serious. I go right to ROTC class. <laughs> and some of my fellow students failed. And when I didn't, they said, well, how'd you, how'd you pass? I said, well, I went to class. You went to class? You protested and went to class? I said, yeah, I didn't want to fail the course. It shows how committed I was. <laughs> but I let personal pressure stop me from making the right decision. Amen? Amen. Don't, don't make sure you just step back and ask, what, what's, what's compelling me to do this? What, what's, what's, what am I being moved by? And a lot of times when you stop and think about that, you'll realize, you know what? This is it's something else that's, that's moving me, not, not my own thinking, not prayer, not the spirit of God, but other things. I say, look, nobody's going to hell for a tattoo and nobody's going to hell for piercing their tongue or their lip or whatever they pierce. I don't know. But don't tell me the spirit of God told you to do it. Amen. As a Christian, it's the culture. It's, it's people. Oh, I tell you, you know, oh, that, that's a beautiful tattoo. She's going, oh, yeah. Oh, you got to go see this one. Oh, they do some beautiful tattoos. I mean, that's not you. <laughs> That's something else sort of moving you along with the culture. Amen? Amen. So make sure you're making decisions on the basis of your own thinking, not on the basis of the pressure that people are putting you under. Amen? Amen. A lot of young people, 
who don't want to do drugs end up getting caught up in drugs because their friends are telling, oh, this is great. You'll enjoy it. It'll, no, there's no problem. I remember when cocaine first began to hit the streets. I was still in Chester, Pennsylvania, and I remember what I heard so often, and I was never a cocaine addict or anything like that, but I remember what I used to hear. Um, cocaine it gets you high, and there's no after effects. It's, 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 there's no, no problem with it. And then people start dropping dead of heart attacks because it was scarring the heart. And nobody, you didn't know that. So, every, so yeah, everybody's doing it. Really? Uh-huh. And everybody, and a lot of people were doing heroin too. And I just wouldn't, I, I, I say it's nothing but the Lord protecting me because I just wasn't going for any of that stuff. I, I, it, there was, to me, there was something too dangerous about it. I mean, I heard about overdoses and all of that. I just, I just no, no thank you. And, and one of uh, the famous basketball players in Chester, Pennsylvania, bounces it, guys snorting cocaine before basketball games and then get out on the court and fall dead. But oh no, it can't hurt you, it's, this is great. So here's number four, emotions, emotions. Now people allow emotions to lead them where they shouldn't go. You know, and, and look, this is something that the Lord gave me that I, I, I always remind myself of, and I, I think you'll find it helpful too. Emotions are real, but they aren't true. They're real, but they aren't true. They don't have the ability to give you a, uh, to give you a picture of reality that is accurate. They will do exactly the opposite. They will skew reality and make you feel like things are far different than they really are. Emotions weren't meant to lead you. They were meant to confirm what is true. Okay, not to lead you. So uh, how many times have people seen someone sick and just fell apart because you know, the, the, oh, the person's going to die and it's, gonna, it's the worst thing that could ever happen and then the person's fine. It ends up being fine. Your emotions were telling you all the, the opposite. But that wasn't true. That was what you were feeling. And see, we live in a feeling culture now where your feelings are supposed to be what ultimately matters. Now, you all probably saw that, uh, 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 that little interview where, uh, I, I don't know who it was, I think it might have been Jesse Waters who interviewed this girl and said, so if you, and I think, I don't, I forget what the, what the ethnic background was of the child, but, but they said, you know, so if you feel like this, if somebody says they feel like, say, say this is a, a, uh, a, a, a man who happens to be of, say, Indian descent, and say he feels like he's an Asian, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. So what if he's a male and he's five feet six, but he feels like he's six foot five. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. If that's the way he feels. So what if he feels like he's a six foot five pro basketball player? Can he feel that way? Is that okay? Yeah. In other words, reality doesn't matter. Only feelings matter. And whatever your feelings are, I am going to affirm that. You know, God doesn't affirm our feelings. He affirms our faith. Because how many of you know the way you feel is not 
it, it, it is almost always not a reflection of the way things are. You can feel discouraged just before the biggest breakthrough you ever have. And you feel like, oh, it's just, it's just, oh God. What, what? And you're just feeling terrible. And you don't know right around the corner, God's got a major breakthrough for you. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. So, so the fall of man, by the way, is based on, based on this appeal to emotions. You know, if you feel that way, that's your truth. No, it's not. That's your truth. I mean, I, you, you know, some of this language uh, is just, it, it is intended to deceive people, intended to mislead people. But look, the fall of man is based on an appeal to emotion. Genesis chapter 3, if you've you, uh, got your Bible, you can go there. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 says, Then the serpent said to the woman, God had told them, don't eat of the, tree, of the, of the fruit of the, of the forbidden tree. You eat that, you're going to die. Says, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows, and check this out. God knows that in the day you eat of it. Now notice this, the day you eat of it. You know what he's saying? What a day that's going to be. Woo! You're talking about a day. You, you eat this fruit? That's going to be the best day you've ever had. Check it out. It says the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, look, she's already like God. She's already made in the image and likeness of God. But he's saying you're going to feel good. You're going to look good. You're going to see everything in a brand new way. Oh, you're going to have a brand new lease on life, Eve. You know, it's like some of the stuff they sell on television. And then when they start talking about the after, the, the potential side effects, you know, you might die. It might kill you. But, but take this because this is going to give you a brand new lease on life. I mean, you can't say he's appealing to her reason because God has already told them what this tree will do. He's appealing to her emotions, getting her excited about the possibilities. Says, so, and, and you can tell this, that's what she's reacting to. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now, how can you see that something's good for food? How many of you put, took something out of the refrigerator that looked good and you smelled it and go, oh, no, 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 that's gone. <laughs> it looks fine, but no, you, you know, you can't eat that. <laughs> you can't look at something and know it's good for food. I mean, my goodness, it could, it could have poison in it. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Well, where'd she get that from? He's, he's telling her, that's the way you ought to look at this. It's pleasant to the eyes. And you've got people right now looking at things in a skewed way because somebody's told them that's the way to look at it and just that's going to make you feel so good about yourself. When you, when you view it this way, oh, and just disgusting. And when I saw uh, during the whole riot and, and, and looting uh, of, of last year, and they would have young, sometimes young girls approached by some Black Lives Matter activists saying, get on your knees and apologize to me. You're going to feel so much better when you do that. Having these events where if you're white, you get paid, you pay extra as reparations. And you're going to feel so much better about yourself once you do that. I, this, is, this, is, 
this is lies appealing to people's emotions. And look, it says, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Oh, really? So now you can see that it's going to make you wise too. All of this based on its appearance. You can't, if you can't see whether food is good or bad by looking at it, how in the world are you going to tell it's going to make you wise by looking at it? So Satan lied to her and made her believe something based upon the emotional appeal of getting excited about a new era of life that was going to begin the moment she stepped into this. Do you know that's what every cult does? That's what every cult does. Once you join us, the world's going to open up to you like never before. You're going to see what you didn't see before. You know, Christian uh, 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 Scientology says, you're going to be clear. And you know, they all tell you basically the same thing. We're, we're gonna, you're going to see things a whole new way. And then the Bible says, she took of its fruit and ate and gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now, the Bible says that Adam was not deceived. But, but apparently, Adam was so enamored of Eve and what she had done for him after, you know, naming all those animals. And I don't want any of those. Now he's got Eve. He's saying, okay, baby, whatever you do, I'm, I'm with you. Instead of providing the leadership that she needed to have, he just stepped right in there and, and went along with it. But she had been misled by her emotions. Satan appealing to her emotions. And Adam just went along with it. Amen? Amen. And I say, look, don't tell me there's no difference between men and women. And by the way, which is why it is Adam that, that, that brought the curse, because he had the authority to stop the whole thing, and he didn't do it. I told you, I, and praise God for my wife, because she, she looks at things often entirely differently than I do. The first thing, I mean, she, she thinks of beauty, and she thinks of ambiance, and, and the first thing I think of is it practical. Well, how are you going to do that? <laughs> but but that's that's the way God wired us. And see, she she's he's a look at how look good this looks. So yeah, that does look good. Oh, this is gonna make you feel wow, that is. And he's thinking, yeah, really, I don't see it. But okay, you want to eat it? Go right ahead. When what he should have done was said, no, I'm not I'm not buying it, <laughs> and I'm not we're, and we're not eating that. Amen. 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 Husbands, you got to. You got to take, take your proper leadership role. Amen? Amen. Amen. And listen, I, somebody was asking me not too long ago. I, I told them that my wife and I have been married 50 years, and, and uh, they said, well, what's the secret? I said, the secret is, uh, the secret of a good marriage is selflessness as opposed to selfishness. Selfishness needs to people pulling, leads to people pulling against each other all the time. Selflessness leads to harmony because you're trying to be a blessing to each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. But, but I went on to say, you've got to learn to see your spouse as a compliment to you, not as in conflict with you. Because your spouse will allow you to see things that you will not see because you're not wired to see them. <laughs> My wife told, told the guy who cuts our grass that she wanted to, 
you know, they, she told him, and he come and told, told me, yes, your, your wife wants to put a flower bed along this path. So I said, oh, okay, I mean, sure, she wants that, fine. Now, I go look at it and say, yeah, but you got to cut a path here, and you got to cut a path there, because as a practical matter, you got to be able to go into the yard, and if you cut, see, I, my, I, I immediately go to the practical issues that you got to deal with, and she's just thinking about, oh, that's okay.